Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college football, the MLB, and of course, our signature segments, The Vault of Hilarious Contracts, your weekly tutorials have Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, right here on episode 94. So I changed up my fitness routine this week, and I got to thinking, man. Like, you, you do fitness things when you're young, so you stay fit when you're old, right? And I read this fun fact that I want to share with you now, which is a dude. His name was Larry Lewis. At age 102, he set the world record for the fastest 100-yard dash. He did it in 17.3 seconds. He's the fastest 100-plus-year-old person to run. Well, I'm getting that backwards, I guess. He is the oldest person you know, over the age of 100, to run a 100-yard dash in 17.3 seconds. I think that's awesome. And Hold on. I'm still confused by the stat. What yeah. what record does he actually <laughs> hold? You did not explain very eloquently yeah. what record is he, he actually is he holds. Is he the only 100-year-old no. who's run it, or was he the fastest 100-year-old? Neither. He. <laughs> I completely botched that. Oh man, welcome to my life. No, he is he holds the record for the fastest 100-yard dash by a person over the age of 100. Okay. Does that make more okay. sense. Okay. Yeah. I, like I said I had it all backwards. That's that's what I assumed you were going for from the start, yeah. but you just never actually got there, so I was very confused. That's why I just never talk. I, I talk in circles. So, hello and goodbye. You got to keep talking. You have other things to talk about this episode. You know that. You can't yeah, but say not goodbye. Right now. Okay. That's All right. True. Well, hello again. Goodbye for now. True fact. Except not you. You have to talk now, Kyle. I do. Uh, so the a new AP poll uh, was released today uh, in the college football world, um, and it was voted on. So the people who voted uh, for the teams were told to cast their votes as if every single team uh, was going to be playing this season. So it did account for Big Ten teams as well as Pac-12 teams in this ranking. Uh, We only really care about one school. Actually, I mean, that's not true. We care about a lot of schools because we love college football. But here on the 8311 cast, we love the Cyclones. And our beloved Cyclones land at number 23 in the AP poll, this is the second year in a row that they have started with started the season uh, ranked in the AP poll. What was it last year? Twenty four, I think, is where we started. Something like that, right around where we are this year. Right around in the same, about the same position. Um, and for everyone out there who's wondering, Iowa is ranked twenty four, so that's already a win in our book. Wasn't it the exact opposite in the coaches' poll, though? Iowa's 23 and Iowa State was 24? I, I believe so, but we're only going to look at the AP poll for our sake. Why? What do you have I, against the coaches, Kyle? Do you think the coaches are idiots? No, I don't, actually. I have a lot of respect for some of those coaches. So then maybe we should pay more attention to the coaches' poll. Maybe, but the AP poll is the one that's widely recognized more so than the coaches' poll. Why is that? I don't know. Why is that? I just said, I asked you first. You got to come up with the answer. 
I don't. My my intuition says that the AP poll is very very media based, more so than the coaches coaches poll, and they might think yes. that the coaches poll has more bias to it, so they use the AP poll, which I don't know if what the level of bias for the AP poll is either. But I think my complaint about the AP poll is it's always too reactionary. Right. It is very reactive. It's the, very, the media, it's very the media, reactive. The media is always too excitable, and the coaches are much less excitable. They're like, ooh, ooh, somebody beat somebody in week one. They must be really, really good. Let's move them up ten spots. And the coaches are like, okay, let's settle down here a little bit. So I don't, I, I like the coaches' poll better just because the coaches tend to be less excitable. But I, th- I, that's why I think they use the AP poll though. Is the AP poll? is based on the media and the media has the ability to, to hype everyone up. So if they if they all of a sudden hype up this one team, then that's going to drive up ratings for that game cuz you're like, "Oh, this team must be fantastic. We got their their must-see television," right? I mean, but the it's it's not like the ESPN executives that vote on, right? It's, well, it's yeah. college football writers from around the nation, right? So I don't buy into that. I just think that I don't. I just think that they're more excitable because they're more excitable. I don't think there's. I don't think there's anything like nefarious going on that makes them more excitable. Oh, well, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to propose that. I was just saying that they sometimes try and drive a hype train. You know. That's yes, they do. I agree with that, but I don't think it's to drive more TV ratings. I just think it's because they like to. So let's take. Let's take a second and look at the AP poll uh, and where all the Big 12 teams um, land on that poll. Yeah, I presume there's four of them ranked, right? Yeah, so the top-ranked Big 12 team is Oklahoma, coming in at number five. Uh, I think that's pretty reasonable. Oklahoma is once again stacked. They have Spencer Rattler, who was... One of the nation's top recruits, uh, two I believe two years ago, um, who has now taken over the reins for Oklahoma. There, once again, Oklahoma is just going to be good. Um, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Coming in at 14, the second highest ranked Big 12 team is Texas. Uh, they finished out the rankings last season, ranked number 25 uh, after an eight and five campaign last year. And then Oklahoma State comes in at 15. So it seems as if the writers view both of these teams as very, very competitive going into the season. And honestly, that's probably what I would think. I don't know if they both warrant a 14 and 15 ranking. We'll see. There's so much hype surrounding Texas every single season, mainly because of the names that they get get on their team and just their status as a university. Oklahoma State, they've got a lot of returning players. They're prepped for a big year. We'll see if it pans out. Um, And then Iowa State, of course, coming in at 23. And that really falls in line with how the coaches in the Big 12 viewed the, the rank or the teams as they stacked up against each other to begin the season as well, pretty much in that order. Yeah. And so far, I don't think that opt-outs have um, had any big effects on any of those top teams in the Big 12. I know Iowa State has said um, 
nobody has opted out yet for Iowa State. Matt Campbell has, of course, said if somebody wants to, he absolutely supports it. Um, but I don't think opt-outs have been a big issue in the Big 12. But as the season gets closer, we are now less than three weeks away from the Cyclones opener against the Raging Cajuns um, that uh, we should keep an eye on, see if there will be any more opt-outs. For sure. It's going to be a crazy, crazy college football season for sure. The top, so I'll just give the top four. Uh, we already know who's at number five, but the top four in the AP rankings is Clemson, Ohio State, who is not playing this year, um, Alabama, Georgia, and then Oklahoma. So that is your top five going into the season. Yeah, and if you adjust for the teams not playing, Iowa State's ranking um, goes up from 24 to 15. So there are nine teams ahead of Iowa State who aren't playing this year. So 15th best team that's going to in a conference that's going to play this year for Iowa State. So um, you got some other updates on how uh, the college football playoff might work this year too, Kyle? Can you give us those? Yeah. So this actually, this news broke uh the day that we are recording this podcast, bringing it to your beautiful ears, uh, August 24th, the College Football Playoff Selection Committee uh, announced that they will postpone their final rankings. Originally, those rankings were set to come out on December 6th, and those rankings are obviously what determines uh, bowl selection um, and where teams are specifically going for the uh, college football playoff. Uh, so those rankings will now be released on December 20th. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but December 20th is usually kind of the heart of bowl season. Um, and so with with this, there's obviously some speculation that of how many bowls are actually going to be played this year, if any, uh, other than the college football playoff. That is obviously still to be ter- determined. They didn't specifically say anything about other bowl games, i.e. the New Year's Six Bowls, which are pretty heavily reliant upon those college football playoff rankings. Uh, But the college football playoff committee will begin releasing their rankings on November 17th, uh, and they will release six top 25 polls for the 2021 season. uh, And... I believe they said that they are supposed to take into account teams that aren't even playing. Don't ask me how that's going to work. I have no clue. Um, that seems like it's going to be very tough to, for, to figure out. <clears throat> but they did specifically say that the top four teams remaining uh, will play in the uh, college football playoff semifinals, which start on January 1st with the Rose Bowl game and the Sugar Bowl. And the national championship will be played with the two winners, obviously, on January 11th. So that is that is your news coming out of college football this week. Interesting. Yeah, we'll see how we'll see if we even get that far in the season. I'm still a little skeptical. We make it to December in this college football season, but it's good to see the college football playoff will go on if. Uh, if we get that far, I'll look forward to those playoff games, and I'm sure I'll watch them come December if they're on. So, oh yeah, January, you're not gonna you're not gonna not watch them if they're on. I mean, I didn't watch any of them last year. I was busy. Imagine being a podcast host. I was busy. I watch parts of them on replay later, but I don't watch any of them live. So, yikes! 
Fun fact, just watch where he plays. You skip the commercials. Just a thought. As long as you don't as long as you don't care that the result is spoiled before you start watching. You can do your analysis later without commercials. It's true. You're not wrong. And without getting caught up in the excitement of, oh, oh, I'm super excited, ooh, but I'm not actually paying attention to all the important details because I'm super excited about what's going on. Do your analysis later. That's what I'm saying. Plus, then you're not so emotional and you make emotional decisions like all those Twins fans who say that the Twins should cut Miguel Sano because he strikes out too much, despite the fact that he's the second best power hitter in Twins history. Sorry, we weren't even going to talk about Miguel Sano in this episode, but I got myself going. Well, okay, I mean, obviously it's not justified to say, should you cut him? Yes, he was having a very tough start to the season, but let's look at it realistically and logically. Your spring and summer camps were completely disjointed, and you couldn't actually face real pitching. Especially Sano's, because he tested positive at the start of summer camp, so he missed almost all of it. And you see, and you're actually seeing that with the likes of Hunter Dozier for the Royals. He's he's been back now for two weeks, but he's just now getting his swing down. Didn't because he have like five hits the, yesterday? He had he had four hits. He was four for four, but on base five times with a walk, uh, too. So he had a, he had a career game yesterday. Um, against the Twins, Sunday against the Twins. and But he tested positive at the end of uh, Royal Summer Camp, or the middle end of Royal Summer Camp. So he missed the beginning of the season. Um, so it's kind of hard to come into the middle of a shortened season and be on point, or in Miguel Sano's case, come in having missed a majority of camp and mm-hmm. be what you were last season just raking and, and striking out a fair amount, too. He has the second highest slugging percentage of any twin in Twins history with a minimum of 2,000 plate appearances. Higher than Justin Morneau, higher than a ton of other great twins, everyone except uh, except Herman Killebrew. Second best. 800 slugging percentage as a twin, I think I saw. Just saying. He's it's good. just another case of overreaction. It's really all it is. You can't overreact in baseball. Overreacting because of small sample sizes is the worst thing you can do in baseball. Well, just saying. Can you overreact with trades, though? Yes, you can. Everyone overreacts to trades all the time, especially in baseball, because people are trading prospects. You need at least three years to evaluate a baseball trade in general, just because normally you're trading prospects, and it's three years before they even reach the majors. Like, you can't call trades, you can you can like or dislike them, but you can't fully judge them in, for like three years. You see how it pans out. Well, while we're at it, why don't we judge the one trade that's happened already in Major League Baseball this year? Yeah, well, one major trade. There have been lots one, of little trades. One major trade. Yep, so the first major trade that happened came down uh, early last week. Um, one of the biggest bullpen arms that was... Um, Sounded like it might be available. Um, it was traded when the Red Sox traded Brandon Workman and uh, some guy named Heath Ombre um, to the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, Ombre was, uh, I should say, Workman was one of the, the big names that everyone was saying was going to get traded um, at this deadline because Boston, everyone knew, was going to sell. He hasn't been great this year, but he's got a track record of being decent. Um, 
I mean, last year he had a 1.88 ERA in, um, in 73 games with Boston. So he was really good last year. Um, so they got Workman and Ombre, but they gave up, like, almost nothing. They gave up Nick Pavita, who had one good year back in 2017, 2018, and has been awful pretty much the rest of his career. He's a, got a 5-5 ERA for his career and an ERA of almost 16 on this year. Um, so that doesn't match. And then they gave up a 24-year-old who's still in rookie ball. Um, like, I don't know what that's about. He's been in professional baseball since 2017, and he's still in rookie ball. That just seems like not a good thing. So it doesn't seem like they gave up much for uh, for those two bullpen arms. So I think that's a good deal from the Phillies, but I don't know. We'll see. have to see how the – how the prospect pans out over the next few years. So. And some some of our listeners might be wondering, you know, why does a team trade a fairly good bullpen arm uh, like Brandon Workman? He's, you know, I'd say better than average bullpen arm. And that's because he, he is in the last year of his deal. He's on a one-year deal with the uh, Boston Red Sox. So next year he's an unrestricted free agent. So when if he were to leave the team, the team gets nothing in return. So they tried to get something in return here. Who knows if that was actually if that those players will pan out. Like Mike said, for prospects, you need about three years, maybe longer, for this guy that they got from high or rookie ball. Um, but yeah, this the Red Sox are trying to rebuild right now because let's be honest, the Red Sox are not anywhere close to contention this season. Or no, probably the, next season. The, the the Red Sox are one of just let me let me do math here. Eh, one of just about seven teams with a less than ten percent chance to make the playoffs um, still on this season. So they're really only about seven teams that I'd say are out of it at this point in the season, which is going to make the rest of the trade deadline pretty interesting. Uh, the trade deadline is August thirty first this year. Keep that in mind. The teams basically with less than a 10% chance to consider sellers are the Red Sox. We already talked about the Royals and Tigers are both under 10%. This is according to fan graphs. Um, but they're both at about 8 or 9%, so they might not be sellers. Um, the Angels, Rangers, and Mariners are all under 10% in the uh, AL West. And then the Pirates, who are awful, have less than a 1% chance of making the playoffs. So those are your, what did, what did that add up to? Five, six, yes, seven sellers, basically, are those teams. And everybody else, there's a lot of teams in a weird not-knowing-what-to-do state, like the Marlins or the Rockies or the Diamondbacks, where you just don't know what to do, where they're not in a playoff spot, but they're close. And it's going to be a weird trade deadline just because so many teams think they're close. You're This year, you're going to have way more teams that, will probably end up being buyers or or poke their nose around the the buying market trying to find players and bring them in than you would in a regular 162 game season just because of how short the season is how mathematically close they actually are and one good week puts them right into a playoff spot uh this season so that's why a lot of teams who think they're close and think they have a chance might end up rolling the dice and trying to buy a couple of either bullpen arms or another bat or something like that to try and ramp up for the postseason. Yeah. Yep. But just like one 
good week can put you in contention. As some teams like the Brewers or the Tigers or the Rangers just learned, one bad week can pretty much knock you out. Like the Tigers were sitting at second place in the AL Central about two weeks ago, but now they're two and eight in their last ten, and they're they're now real hurting for that playoff odds. Texas two and eight in their last ten. Who else is really strong? I mean, the Brewers just got swept by the Pirates in a three-game series. That's pretty embarrassing. Colorado is one and nine in their last ten. That's pretty much doomed them. Yeah, can't you can't have long losing streaks here in this shortened season. But the other thing that's going to be interesting in trade down is because there's less sellers and more buyers. Right, your supply demand is going to be off compared to a normal year. So, right, I think they're going to be those sellers are going to be looking for more because there's less um, competition available, right, less other players that are going to be traded. But also you're going to have some teams who would otherwise be buyers who are going to be like, well, do we really want to give up pieces of our future for a year that doesn't, that has been weird and might not matter as much as history is concerned, right? How do front offices value winning a World Series this year? Right, that's an interesting question. When the trade deadline comes around, do they value a 2020 World Series with the same weight as they would a future World Series in a full season? Do you, as and, a fan, and you also have to value, you have to kind of calculate the risks. Do we even have a World Series this year? Yep. I mean, we don't know for sure, right? Yep. Yeah, I think at this point, hopefully, we'll we'll be there. Yeah. Now that we're nearing the end of August and we're still playing, but yeah, we'll see. But that's a good point. I mean, that's a good question for you two. Do you two value a World Series this year the same as you would in a normal year? I personally no. I but I don't. I don't know. I feel like winning a World Series, no matter what. I think if you win a World Series, <clears throat> unless you're the Astros, you should feel good about winning a World Series, right? I mean, yeah. If the Twins win the World Series, I'm still going to celebrate. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to not celebrate it. You're not going to be like, ah, man, we got another piece of hardware for that dang trophy case over there that's catching dust. It, you're that still going to be excited. Dust. I feel like I feel like it's still valued, but I don't know. Some teams might view it as, hey, we won the wackiest season ever. Maybe it might have more weight. Who knows? I, I feel like it's one of those things where right now you may devalue the World Series after it happens, but 5, 10, 20 years down the line, it's just going to be another game, right? Like, um, look at the last pandemic that in recent history, 1918. What do you think about the 1918 World Series? Sure, I don't think there was as many drastic changes to the league uh, in that year, but again, in the past, it's just an, another World Series. I don't think it's going to have any major devalue in in the future in the near future it might but point. you know down the line it's, it's just going to be looked at as another game that's yeah. a very good point uh, i didn't think about that wow hey sometimes he comes in from the top rope and really hits it mm-hmm. you were covered strong from earlier in the episode wyatt well done um just some other notes from around baseball uh, the twins can't stop getting injured just in this last week um catcher mitch garver went on the dl uh, Byron Buxton went on the DL. He hurt his shoulder sliding into home plate to uh, score the walk-off run in extra innings. Jake Odoizzi went on the DL after he got hit in the stomach by a line drive. Zach Littell went on the DL with an elbow issue. 
Tyler Clippard is probably going to end up on the DL after he got hit in the elbow with a line drive yesterday. The Twins just have the injury bug right now, and it's not good. They need to... I mean, they're still leading the AL Central despite all of this, but man, those those injuries are just mounting, and it's... And the, the Indians aren't far off their heels right now. Neither are the White Sox, who had a really good week to storm back into contention, so... Speaking of prospects who are really helping a team or help a team in the future, the White Sox are loaded with young talent that is propelling them to to a really, really good season so far. Yeah, the White Sox have been an interesting team, but they haven't been as good as the Dodgers. The Dodgers, right, just like we all thought at the beginning of the year, right, even though in the in record they're only, what, a game and a half better than Oakland, the run differential, I think, tells the story with the Dodgers. So the Dodgers have a plus 79 run differential this year to go with their 22-8 uh, and eight record. If you don't realize how insane that is, the second-best run differential belongs to the Twins at plus 40. The Dodgers are a full, almost double the run differential of the next-best team in baseball right now. Like, that's insane. The Dodgers have just been flattening everybody um, on their way to a 22-8 and eight first half of the season. They are far and away the best team. And, I mean, according to baseball reference, they have a 100% chance of making the playoffs, like literally. You'd have to go down to three decimal places to get um, uh, under 100% rounded playoff percentage for the Dodgers. It's nearly impossible for them not to make it at this point. They're incredible. And, and that's also with... Their star and last year's NL MVP, Cody Bellinger, is only hitting so far 211 on the season with a 447 slugging percentage. If you remember back to last season, just last season he hit over 300 and obviously was the NL MVP that year. Uh, he actually hit uh, last year, 2019, he hit 305 and slugged 629 on the season with a 1.035 OPS. His stats are so incredibly low this season compared to what he did last year. And yet, even with that, the entire team is hitting. It They're just a very, very complete team right now. And they know how to win baseball games. And they're yeah. relatively healthy, which also helps. Yeah, that's true. You had one other thing you really wanted to talk about in baseball, Kyle, that happened this week that I... I don't know what you're going to – what are you going to talk about here? Trevor Bauer stays undefeated. Trevor Bauer by far is one of the best personalities in baseball, especially for a starting pitcher. And his antics have been on point so far this season. He struck out a batter against the Royals and then strutted his stuff off the mound, swinging his shoulders back and forth like he was all hot stuff. He did have a great game. So far he's 3-0 and on the season with a .68 ERA. But it's his stuff off the field and how he tries to get back at players and throws some shade. So this year, uh, I will post a picture to the 8311cast Instagram. Everyone go and check it out after you listen to this episode or while you're listening to my beautiful voice. Trevor Bauer had custom cleats made that said, Free Joe Kelly with a picture of the Joe Kelly sad face with his bottom lip pouted out. Uh, if you remember that video of Joe Kelly pouting his lip at Car uh, Carlos Correa in the Astros, for the Astros when he threw behind him. 
And he was going to wear them for the game against the Kansas City Royals. And after he posted a or tweeted a picture about it, he later had to comment and say, for everyone wondering why I didn't wear the cleats tonight, at MLB threatened to eject me and suspend me and levy unprecedented fines against me if I did wear them. I couldn't put my teammates at risk like that. Earlier this year, MLB said players could put whatever they wanted on their cleats so long as I it wasn't political or offensive. Apparently, Rob is not a fan of players following his rules as, quote, free Joe Kelly is not political and is very clearly said in jest. Just leaves me over here wondering how following the rules equals ejection, suspension, slash fine, and cheating your way to a World Series equals no ejection, suspensions, or fines. Y'all really know how to pick your battles. Trevor Bauer stays undefeated. Go follow him on Twitter. He's also hilarious. It's great. Also, the cleats were just spot on fantastic. The, just the cleat. make sure you check out the 8311 cast Instagram. Show all your friends. Show this picture. It is fantastic. The, the cleats were pretty, pretty awesome, I will say. I agree completely. Moving on, you have a, a next instance of your signature segment here on the 8311 cast, Kyle. Can you fill us in? Yeah, so in this week's installment of the Vaults of Hilarious Contracts, we are back on the baseball diamond. And let's take a trip back a few years to 1984. George Brett signed an extension with the Kansas City Royals in 1984 that included more than one unusual clause. So this this episode, you get a twofer. For one, he negotiated for ownership of the bat that he used in the pine tar incident the year before. If you are unfamiliar with the pine tar incident, it is a great watch, a great video. Go look it up on YouTube. Highly suggest. It's hysterical. But even crazier was how he ended up as a part owner of an apartment complex in Memphis, Tennessee, in exchange for playing baseball. The perk came through Royals team co-owner at the time, Avron Fogelman, who is a successful real estate developer. The Royals decided to use this to their advantage and offered George Brett a 10% stake in an 1,100-unit development. He took the deal and was guaranteed $1 million in cash flow and the chance to sell his piece back to the Royals for $2 million. That's a lot of change back in the 1980s. That is now my second uh, George Brett fun fact I have of my noggin now. The the first, obviously, being the aforementioned pine tar incident in 83. So, good to know. George, good knowledge. George Brett pine tar incident is always an interesting one to go watch. George George Brett is an interesting character, just in general. Miguel Sano almost hit a home run off his picture. Uh, he hit a ball so far in Kansas City the other day. Just saying. Up there in left field. In the Hall of yeah. Fame. On the yeah. Hall of Fame. Yeah. Because George Brett is in the Hall of Fame. Isn't he in the Royals Hall of Fame, right? Yeah. 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 His jersey's retired and everything. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, Miguel Sano hit a ball up that. It was crushed. Hashtag Miguel Sano doesn't a, suck. It was a crushed ball? I thought they played with it was it was I majestic. thought they played with round baseballs. Did was, Tom Brady yeah. get into the baseballs? That one was majestically stroked, Kyle. Did, did Tom Brady get into those baseballs? 
No, he did not. Oh, Miguel okay. Sano did, and he crushed it, majestically stroked. Did anybody else see the video of Tom Brady checking the the line? Yes. <laughs> I don't so know what's talking about. For all of our talk. listeners out there, Tom Brady uh, checked his center's butt towel to make sure that it was neatly tucked into his pants. And by checking it, I mean he completely pulled his waistband away from his backside and looked in. He had to make sure with his own two eyes that it was there. I'm confused. Okay, whatever you say. There's anyway. a video of it. You can go find out. But <laughs> let's 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 keep it back in baseball, though. You're going to go ahead with our weekly turtle tab for us? Of course I will. I've got good news and bad news on our weekly turtle tab. First of all, Willens Astadio is on the taxi squad for this 10-game Twins road trip that started last weekend in Kansas City and continues the rest of the week. Um, bad news is he's apparently been passed on the Twins' catcher depth chart. When Mitch Garver went on the DL, as we mentioned earlier in this episode, the assumption was that Willens Astadio would be the one to replace him. Instead, he got passed by Twins' top catching prospect Ryan Jeffers. Um, Ryan Jeffers got the call-up instead of Willens Astadio. So Astudio is still on the taxi squad. He's still going to be one of the next men up, but uh, he was not next on the catching depth chart, apparently, as that went to Ryan Jeffers. So we'll still see. We'll still hold out hope that we have Willens Astudio up soon, but for now, still just on the taxi squad. Big sad. Very big sad. I mean, it's not a big sad that Ryan Jeffers is actually pretty good. Yeah, he had a good weekend. He had a good good major league debut on Friday and then a good weekend series going forward. So it was good. He had a good series. So when was was it Friday? Something like that. I don't Thursday. Know. I don't know exactly. Thursday was his debut. His his debut was the day before they played the Royals. Okay. I lose track of the days these days. Wow, it's Too weird that I know some twin stats that you don't know. Too much stuff going on to keep track of all the stuff. You heard me. Makes sense. But anyway, moving on to my favorite segment besides our weekly turtle tab, which is Mike's Stupid Rules. We're going to do a continuation slash follow-up to last week's um, rule. I got such a good response to last week's rule about being able to be called out while standing on a base um, when you were hit with the line drive. Um, I had multiple questions about what other times could somebody be called out while standing on a base. Right? That's an interesting thing, right? Because normally bases are safe. Other times you could get called out while standing on a base, and I still might be missing a couple. But um, first one is an appeal play, like on a tag, right? So if they want to appeal that you left, for example, second base too early, we're trying to tag up on a fly ball to third, right? In theory, when that appeal happens to second base, you are standing on third base. And if you left too early, you can be called out then on appeal for um, while you are standing on third base. Um, It's a little bit of an anomaly because you're not called out at the base you're standing on. But still, you are called out while standing on a base. Um, And the second one I came up with um, would be if two people are standing on the same base. This is not middle school gym big base. You cannot have two people standing on the same base. Um, so if there happen to be two people standing on the same base, and yes, you do see this in the major leagues sometimes, um, 
I believe it is the person who went back to the base. So someone like if you in between second and third, the person who was back going back to second base, and then they're both standing on two bunners standing on second. If you tag the guy who was going back to second, um, he would be called out, even though he is standing on the base. Those are the only two instances I could find of other ways you could be called out while standing on a base. So I, f- I found the uh, two people standing on the same base one to be the most entertaining. Yeah. But yeah, two people standing on the same base, you can be called out while standing on a base. So there you go. That is how you can be called out while standing on a base. That is your rule for the week. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. Thank you very much for that. Mm-hmm. I got a good one for next week already, too. So Whew, I'm excited. Um, continuing to move forward to our Write That Down prediction segment, which, of course, always starts with our accountability session. We had three predictions come off the board this week, one each for Kyle, Wyatt, and Josh. Um, all last week's predictions from Kyle, Wyatt, and Josh, actually. Um, first off the board was Kyle. He projected that the Royals would play 500 or better against the Twins this year. They played exactly 500. They split the season series five and five. So for that, Kyle gets a ding, 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 ding. Um, Wyatt predicted that the Cubs would sweep the White Sox last weekend. Uh, that did not happen. Um, um, what's his name? Jose Abreu definitely made sure that that did not happen. Um, with a three-homer game against the Cubs over the weekend. So for that, why it gets a nah. nah. Um, and Josh predicted the Brewers would win their next two series. Um, they did not. Um, they lost two out of three to the Twins and then head-scratchingly got swept by the Pirates. <laughs> um, I don't know if that is grounds for like giving him a double-long prediction. I know we, we do have some precedent for that before. We gave, I believe we gave Kyle a double long prediction at one point. Yup. Uh, I can't find that one in our documents. Maybe it was Wyatt. Let's see here. We gave somebody a double long prediction at one point. Where's that minus one? Ah, yes. Wyatt at one point predicted that the Cubs would sweep the Braves. This was back in season one of the 83-11 cast. And uh, the Braves ended up sweeping the Cubs. So we gave him a double long prediction from that. Is this double long prediction from Josh? What do you I guys think, think it I, would be if I Josh predicted so. that. I don't. I don't think it is. I think it would be if Josh predicted that the Brewers would sweep them. But he just said he'd win, right? Yep, he said they'd win both series. I don't think that's grounds for a double wrong. Uh, I I think if they would have gotten swept by the Twins and the Pirates, that would have been yeah. grounds for it. But yes, they win again. I would agree. Okay. I would agree. All right. Just a single wrong. All right, just a regular wrong. So just nah, nah for Josh on that series. That is all I have for our accountability session. Kyle, you want to start by putting some more things back on the board? Oh, I'd love to. Uh, so I'm going to step out of my element a little bit and make an NBA prediction this week. Uh, and I'm going to say that the Lakers are going to lose to the Portland Trailblazers in the first round of the NBA playoffs. I hope so. So for what, for everyone's reference, right for everyone's reference, the Lakers are up, are leading the series two games to one. Two to one, you said. Two to one. Two to one Lakers, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's see. This is triple, double. Hold on. Let's see if I can pull this up. Get some actual percentages from five thirty-eight here. Okay, 
538 NBA odds. Let's see, we got 538 predictions. Hey, look, I got. Mm, I can't get that specifically. So the Blazers are. Oh, yeah, I can. The uh, 9% chance, according to 538. There's a 9% chance that this happens. Um, Is that home run category then, right? I was going to say, I think that's almost home run category there. Uh, I'm fine with that. All right, home run it is. Um, just because I didn't have a prediction and Kyle inspired me because I like predicting that Kyle's predictions are wrong, I'm not only predicting that the Lakers are going to win um, their series against the Blazers, I'm predicting that they're going all the way to the NBA Finals, which according to 538, there's a 31% chance of that, by the way. Uh, double, triple? Uh, uh, I don't know. Probably a double. I was gonna say, well, okay, so maybe, maybe a triple because that, that's 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 a couple games, you know. What are the odds of them making it to the Western Conference Finals? Fifty-three percent. Mm, triple. I'm fine with that. I, I was triple. I'd say yeah. a triple. All right, I'll take a triple. All right, what do you got? What? So uh, instead of like going head to head like you guys did, I'm gonna go lateral and say that the Raptors are gonna win the. So the Raptors already won their first series. They yep. obliterated the Nets. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. According to 538, is... the Raptors have a 25% chance of going to the NBA Finals. Yep. So triple again? Yep. Yep. So was about the same odds that we gave Mike for a triple. Nope. So that's what I was going for. Do we have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Still alive. They got power back in Cedar Rapids. I hope all the Cedar Rapids listeners are still doing okay after those storms. Uh, but he does not have a prediction this week. He did not want to try to redeem himself after last week. That's all right. So with that, glad to hear Josh is doing well. And that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 94 of the 8311 cast. We hope to see you back around town next week for episode 95. But until then, signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts. Kyle Mersch. Mike Ludwig. And Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.